We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 11 today, and uh, I, I found myself getting more and more excited about this passage as I studied it, and uh, I hope it, uh, hope it impacts you the same way it did me as, as I was going through. So um, as you're turning there, I'll go ahead and, and we'll open in a word of prayer. Happy Mother's Day to all of you moms and, and wives. I like to include the wives because sometimes as a wife, you have to treat your spouse like a child uh, <laughs> to get them to listen and understand. I know that from my own personal experience, so uh, <laughs> um, I'm grateful for moms and wives who are there to, uh, to lead us and to help us in our lives as well. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for today again, and I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the boldness and the, and the challenge that is spoken to us from Jesus through um, the writers and, and the apostles, uh, and Lord, also through those who have been teachers directly to us. So Father, I pray that today, again, we, we take something from your word that you want for us to understand, you want to change in us, um, to make us more like Jesus Christ, your son. And Father, I thank you for it. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, um, we ended like right on the last verse of chapter 10. So I am going to touch a little bit on that uh, as we go into chapter 11. So we'll, we'll start with chapter 10, verse 18. And I'm just going to read through chapter 11, verse 15. And we'll probably only get through the first oh, four or five verses or so. Um, and it says... For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one who the Lord commends. I hope you will put up with me in a little, little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. We're in 2 Corinthians 11, and we're at uh, verse 5. He says, I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. What, was it sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so as surely as the truth of Christ is in me. Nobody in the regions of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. 
And I will keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. And so when we, when we look back in chapter 10, verse 18, he's talking about, um, about boasting in the Lord. And he's, he's, describing, uh, he's describing their motive behind why they teach and why they're doing what they're doing. And not only that, he's also describing that very similarly... They want to do very similarly like what Satan did with Eve in the garden. They want it to sound like truth, but they want, it, they want to manipulate it just enough to suit their own desires. And so um, Paul is describing that he wants for himself, he describes this in many places in the New Testament, that he wants for himself, he wants to be commended by God. And if it means not being commended by the people that are around him, He's okay with that, you know, and it's and it's difficult sometimes to um, within a body of believers when there's something that is just a little off to, to, to have a discussion about that. Why? Because we don't want to be confrontational. We don't want to be um, we don't want to appear to be ununited um, and that kind of thing and, and create we, we think that we're creating the tension by standing up for something. And so I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, I can think about the years of, of my, just of my life, where I've had a conversation with somebody, and there's people going, praise the Lord, you know, and, they're, and, and you look at them, and you watch, you know, how they act in church and things like that, and you think, wow, we're a lot alike, you know, and then you start having conversations about deeper doctrinal or theological issues, and, and they'll begin to say things like, Hmm. You know, I'm not. I'm not sure, but I. I don't think that's quite right. And, and the conversation will go on and on and on, uh, and pretty soon you're like, I'm not sure that we are on the same page with the scripture. You ever been there? Some are nodding your head. Don't don't get too excited. You know? <laughs> I'm not talking about any of you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But you know, I. Truthfully, though, I mean, I've had, there's, there have been times in my life, and, and going back, uh, several years back, um, I, was, I was asked to participate in, in a musical thing, and it was supposed to be, well, some people from this church, and people from this church, and people from this church, we're all coming together, and we're going to do some music together, and we're going to do some things, and uh, the church that I was in um, several years, this goes way back, probably 20 years, um, or more than 20 years, actually, uh, somebody came to me and said, I want you to, you know, to find people to do special music, you know, and I want to start, we want to start implementing some more, little more contemporary or culturally relevant uh, music in the church and things like that, and so I said, okay, great, you know, and of course I was still a little ignorant to the scripture myself because I'm thinking, okay, this church going to rock now. We're going to do some things. Uh, and that's, that was my attitude, which was just as wrong as theirs. 
about how this would transpire, well, it was brought to me then, well, we're not doing it this way and this way and this way. Um, we, we, have to, we have to really be cautious of how we proceed. And I agreed with that statement. And they said, well, some of the biggest givers in the church said that they're going to stop giving if, if we go forward like with this. And I went, okay, so they're running the church now, the people, the people with, the, with the biggest wallets. And that right there was a red flag to me, but at the same time, I was looking, I didn't look inward to myself. I wanted to become argumentative, and so it was all the way around. It was, it was all wrong, and, it, and it's very similar to what Paul's describing here. Uh, but later, there was, there was this time when <clears throat> people were coming together, and they said, well, we're not going to really push the Scripture too much. We just want people to know that, that they're loved, and we want this and this and this. And I was a little wiser by this time, and I backed away and said, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, then I can't participate. And there were others that, that backed away from that with me. But Paul here in, in, uh, in chapter 11, the first few verses as we read this, he says, I, will put, I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. Um, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. And so as we look at this, in order to make the comparison, for Paul to make the comparison between himself and the, those who are false apostles, Paul has to speak about himself, um, which inevitably seems like foolishness because he's already, uh, he's already spoken about not boasting about himself. He's already taught this to the people in Corinth, but he's saying, you know what, in order to make my point, uh, he has to subject himself a little bit to this folly, and he's not doing it to pat himself on the back, but he is doing it to restate the things that he has already accomplished, that God has accomplished through him, rather. Uh, he's restating those things to help them understand that God put him in the position to lead people, and, and what he's really describing here, if we, if we think about it, who is he speaking to? Who's this letter to? Is it to the people in Corinth uh, nationwide, citywide, or is it to the church? It's to the church. So he's talking within the body of believers in Corinth that there's ecumenism going on, and there are some who are trying to just take and implement little bits and pieces of the Jewish traditions and they're trying to keep those and maintain them within the body of believers as people are turning to follow Christ. And um, in Hebrews 5, he describes where people have been in, in under the scripture or under the, the leadership of Christ and of the apostles. He describes that they've been under there long enough that they should be teaching by now and they, and they still are kind of infants in, the, you know, in their church. And so Paul is doing the same thing here. He's looking at them and he's going, you know, why are you still so fascinated by, um, by people and, and by the, the, the different things? Because in Corinth, that's one of the things that really fascinated them is philosophies and all of these magnificent signs. In 1 Corinthians um, 
1 Corinthians, I can't remember, I think it's 14, they're, they're going on and on about tongues. And they want that. Because, why? Because that's something that people look and they go, wow, you know, look at the, the magnificent display. Look at the power that's being, you know, done and all this kind of stuff. And they're looking at all these things and they continue to struggle with that. And so Paul is talking about these kinds of things. And um, if we look at, uh, so yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And the mistake that I've made, and I've heard a number of people make, uh, is is like when you're you know you'll be raising children and you'll be in a in a church and that's teaching the gospel, it's giving sound doctrine, and <laughs> and to to some point it's like, okay, it's it's become pretty routine, it's become pretty repetitive. And then all of a sudden you have over here, you have a church that's doing some things that are really attracting people, just like what you're describing. Uh, young people are excited to go to church. And, and it's easy to go, wow, I want my kids to be excited like that. And rather than the body that you're in, bringing the excitement of the truth um, and helping them understand it, we bring, we'll take them and go, okay, you know what? You can go over here. And then we'll say things like this, and I've done it. Well, at least they're going somewhere. And you know what happens? Satan goes, I gotcha. And the reason why isn't because, isn't because that we have deliberately put our children in that position, is that we've stepped back a little bit and let somebody else take the reins with their spirituality. And so that's, that's what he's describing in verse 3 and 4. I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. If someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if we receive a different spirit from which the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easy, easily enough. Let's go back to Genesis 3 for just a minute. And let's read how that happened. And it's an important, it's an important uh, reminder and picture that he's giving them. So if you just read the first verse, now the serpent was more crafty than all of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? He's not telling her. God didn't say that. He's just asking her, what did God say again? And her response tells Satan that she's already considering doing what he told her not to do. Okay? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the tree in the garden. But God did say, the next verse, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not even touch it or you will die. So whether she heard that from Adam or whether she imposed that on her, herself, don't even touch it or you will die, Satan already knows that's not what God said. He already knows. God said, don't eat. you can eat from any tree. You have the freedom to choose to eat from that tree if you want to, but if you do, there will be consequences. And the consequences, will, are, are, the consequences are immovable. 
They cannot be negotiated. They cannot be changed. Um, and so if God does change, then he's a liar from the get-go at the beginning of the scripture. Um, so anyway, a certain, the Satan, the serpent convinces her, you will not certainly die. The ser serpent says to the women, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Is that a true statement? What Satan tells her? Yeah, because later on, God says, Jesus says, now they are like us, knowing good from evil. Ex but the difference is God knows good from evil from the outside because he is good and evil's over here. Eve knows good from evil experientially. It's become a part of their nature. It's the human nature now. Um, it's, it's a part of every person that, that comes after them. And so the important part of this is if you, if you keep your finger here and turn to John, or excuse me, 1 John chapter 2 real quick. You know where I'm going? <laughs> 1 John 2.16, that is correct. The three things in our life that just about every, that every temptation appeals to in, in one way, shape, or form. 1 John 3, uh, 16. Go ahead, Madeline, read that for us. Or yes, yes, I'm sorry. Chapter 2, verse 16. Okay. All right, amen. So, when you get to verse 5 and 6, he says, your eyes will be opened, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In verse 6, what does the woman do? She stands, there and she stands there and she thinks about it for a minute. You know what? That doesn't sound so bad. And so she says, when the woman saw, um, the Bible says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good, Okay, lust of the flesh, it's good to eat, and pleasing to the eye is attractive. I, I'm drawn to it. I don't know why, but I'm just drawn to it. Well, you don't want to eat an ugly fruit, no. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, I mean, if you stand there and you look at it long enough, if you look at something long enough, if you keep going back to a temptation long enough and you keep... Refer, going to it and just standing from a distance and looking at it, you're going to eventually get to the place where you are more curious and you want to step into it. So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, the pride of life. Okay? Um, she also gave, she took and she ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And that verse right there condemns him just as well. He was with her. He knew it. He did not stand in the way. He did not protect her. He did not stand up for righteousness because he was just as curious, but he let her take the fall. Yeah. Yeah. 
He, he was at least within earshot to know what was going on. Yes. When God created the world, um, I'm convinced that Satan fell between the first and second day of creation, right. or or at the first day of creation. <laughs> right, and the and the giveaway to that is John tells us that in him there is no darkness at all. And, and I'm convinced that that means physical and spiritual. There is no darkness, period. Everything is revealed when Jesus is present, when God is present. So on the first day of creation, was there any light? It says darkness covered the face of the deep. Why? Because Satan had to have a place to go. Hell was created for Satan the first day of creation. Yes. Right, right. Yeah, so so when you read, yeah, you, when you read that about creation and you also read, um, I think it's in Isaiah, that the description of Lucifer before the fall and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, bright and morning star. He was ma more magnificent, more beautiful than any of the other angels. Um, you know, and he was hurled down and it says a third of the stars were taken with him. This is a third of the third of the angels in heaven were convinced to follow him uh, and they were thrown out. Angels lost their free will then when that happened. So angels can no longer te be tempted and disobey God. The, the ones that are serving as uh, what Paul describes the deliverer of the Old Testament gospel in some places, the, the, the deliverer of the, the, the scripture. Um, so... Uh, Paul here is describing to the Corinthians that we're about to get an instant replay of the Garden of Eden. Meaning that the people in Corinth are going, yes, we want to follow Jesus. Yes, we want to, we want to love him. We want to serve him. We want to serve one another. And we want to do things. And wow, that's appealing. What are they doing over there? And we do the same thing by being attracted to something that is kind of sparkly and kind of fun. And if we're not careful and examine what is coming out of it as far as truth is concerned, you can be easily drawn away and go, you know what, I think, I think we should do this. <coughs> and it's a, it's, a, it's a really strong statement against ecumenism and a caution against ecumenism where... Well, we all follow the same God. We all follow the same Jesus. Let's just get together and, and let our differences, we're going to agree to disagree on this, and, but we can still serve the same king. Paul's saying, no, you can't. He says, if they teach another gospel that is different than what you have been taught, and in Galatians 1, he'll, he'll describe the same thing to us. He, said, let the, he tells Galatians, he said, let them be accursed. And so... What he's saying here in the um, in Second Corinthians eleven, the second part of verse four, he says, "If if you receive, you've received the spirit of God." And he says, "If you receive a different spirit of the gospel, the one you accepted, he says, you put up with it easily enough." 
And, and I looked at that, and I went, wow, they, that's been me for so many years of my life that I want to just, you know what, let's just not make any waves. Let's get, a, get along together. Let's do things productive. Let's get some things done. Let's share the gospel with some people and, and move on. And <clears throat> now it seems like people come and say, and they'll say things, well, and, and the one that really gets me is, is grace. People will say, uh, but, but we're saved by grace. We're saved by grace. We're saved by grace. And I'm like, yes, yes, we are saved by grace. But then after that, grace continues to come through obedience to the word. And if you want grace to continue to come, you have to obey what God's word says. And if there's any question about it, grace is not going to come. So stop calling chance and random good circumstances grace. Because grace doesn't always change your circumstances. Grace is a focus on the eternal things as a result of what you're going through. The Bible says again and again that we're going to be persecuted for following Christ. So as we, as we look at that, um, back in chapter 11, uh, when, as we were reading in verse 3, I want to look at a couple of, couple of verses that describes Christ. Um, Romans chapter 5. Let's take a look at that. Because in perspective or of, of Adam and Eve, how is Christ described? Romans chapter 5, verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He has said this in his same letter, earlier in the same letter. Verses 13 and 14. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. <clears throat> Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Now, uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. Keeping that in mind. We're going to look at verses uh, 21 and 22 first. He says, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Now turn to, in the same chapter, to verses 42 through 47. He says, so in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. As it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Uh, we're in the middle of verse 44 
uh, 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Verse 45, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth, and as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. <clears throat> and just as we have been born the image of the earthly man, so we bear the image of the heavenly man. And so Jesus Christ is being described as the second Adam as he is warning the Corinthians, don't be the second Eve. Don't be deceived by all that glitters because all that glitters is not gold. And so the caution there is within the body of believers to, if there's somebody in there that takes the scripture and says, and then we'll look around at other people uh, individuals compare themselves by themselves he describes earlier that that's foolishness don't do that he's going to look at the scripture um, and look at the scripture and let it speak to you let it be that reflection of your life let it change you and when it does if you see things going on around you that don't align with that either a make a stand for it or b if you do make a stand for it and it's rejected stay away from it you know, and so it's really easy. How many guys go to YouTube and watch preachers on YouTube? <laughs> Me too. And I'll watch and I'll watch and I'll watch. And, I, and I've learned from some of my mentors, the things that I watch, don't give credit to, to people that you don't know personally, uh, especially people you don't know personally. Because I, I used to quote Rabbi Zacharias all the time, and then he dies, and all of a sudden all this stuff comes out, and I went, now what do I do? <laughs> you know, I'm like, wow, what a, what a, what a foolish man I was, you know. Um, right, right. And there's a couple of times, and I think even in this passage, um, I don't remember if it was right here or if it was somewhere else. All of a sudden, I saw something like that, and it clicked in my head. Paul was Paul was fooled by this person. And he's acknowledging, I was fooled by this guy. And so we know about Demas because he openly says it later. Um, but as I was studying this, there was a passage I ran across, and I can't remember where it was at, um, where he, he just makes a comment that um, there have been people that were helping him that he realizes now. Um, and I'm sure it'll come up later because this is like part one of like three parts here. So um, I'll, I'll cross that again. But anyway, he makes a statement that says, I, I could be fooled, you know, if I'm not careful. If I don't take everything that's said and, and align it up with Jesus, with what Jesus has already told him, then he knows uh, to stay away from it. And here's the kicker is when you get down to verse 14, when he describes um, Satan, he says Satan himself is masquerading as an angel of light. What is Satan's sole purpose? What is, it, what is his sole desire? To deceive. But why did he fall in the first place? He was filled with pride. And he says, I will be like Jesus. He says, I will be like 
the Most High. So he wants to still look just like Jesus to get as many followers as he can. And so what he will do is he will use every piece of Scripture that he possibly can to make it look just like Christ and bring you right to the edge of salvation just to stop you and hold you right there and make you think everything's okay. And so... Um, this is part of this is where the the description of verse four comes in. If someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from which the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Don't do that. Don't put up with it. If something sounds questionable to you, go into your Bible and question it. Find the truth. Find the answer. And if you find the answer and you realize what this person's saying is not right, if we back up to chapter 10, verse 6, you find it out. Paul says, then you will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. That's, that's exactly what he's describing. Is now that people become passionate about the truth and they're ready to stand up for the truth and they're ready to say when something sounds questionable, they're ready to say, oh, oh, oh let's hold it right there. Let's, let's find out what the truth is. Half of the time, the person that you're, you're dealing with that, half of the time, some, some will say, yeah, you know what? I want to know the truth too. Let's go find it. And they'll dig in with you. That's where um, the passage I read last week in Matthew 7, where it says, if two of you agree on earth, on, on this, then everything that you ask according to his will will be given to you. Why? Because now something I believed, I looked into the Bible, I found I was wrong, I repented. Repentance happens, two people come together, they can come together in prayer, two or more, and they can ask anything they want to, and it's going to be given to them because repentance happened as a result. The flip side of that coin is you come and you say, hey, let's go into the scripture. You know what? No, no, no. I already know what I believe, and you're not going to change my mind. Okay, I'm sorry. We can't associate with each other then. You know, if, if, if you say you believe the scripture, you say you follow the same Jesus I do, let's see what he says and find out what he says. If the answer is no thank you, this is the kind of person that Paul is talking to. If I'm the person that says no thank you, Paul tells the Galatians, let's, let's go there, let's Galatians 1. In verse 6, was where we'll start. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. I'm going to stop right there for just a second. There's a passage, I believe it's Peter, that says, if you keep the whole law and you break one point of it, you're guilty of the entire law. Okay? So, Paul here is saying, if you live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all, he's saying if there's one part of the gospel message that is questionable, the whole thing is not the gospel. Okay? 
It's no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. So he includes himself in this, in this category. If you hear me say something different than what has already been said that Jesus has already said through me, if you hear me change my mind, don't listen. I've already gave you truth. And, and the inclusion of angels is, and I forget where the passages are, maybe you guys can help me, but in the Old Testament there are places where angels were the messengers of the gospel. Do you, do you remember any of those passages where an angel comes to a prophet and delivers? I'll have to bring that to you next week. I know I read that in a couple of places in the Old Testament, and Paul is using this. Yes? Well, I was, I was looking for specific verses because I know that they're in there. Um, I just don't remember where they're at. Um, but I, I'll bring those next week. Somebody, uh, if, if I don't bring it up, somebody ask me because I'm gonna ha I want to have those down. Um, but anyway, in verse 9 of Galatians 1, As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Now jump over to chapter 2. Oh, this is the passage I was, t I was talking about earlier, uh, where Paul is, is confessing or admitting um, that, he's, that he was fooled a little bit. So if we start in verse 3, he says, Not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. Uh, and, the, and the conversation here that's going back and forth is, um, you know, they're talking about circumcision. Timothy is circumcised as a boy. Titus is not circumcised, and the, and the purpose has nothing to do with physical circumcision. The purpose has to do with the demographic that they're teaching, the people that they're talking to. Sorry, I spit on the table, spitting on you guys. Um, get closer, everybody needs an umbrella. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, he's talking about that, and, and in verse 4, he says, This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. So what happened? People came and they said, I want to follow Christ. All right, praise the Lord. You know, let's, let's get you saved. Let's, you know, let's talk about the scripture. Let's get baptized. And okay, okay, okay. And then down the road, they go, well, don't you think circumcision is a good thing? I mean, why are we so hard on circumcision? And Paul went, No. You're a false teacher. You did all of this, and, and maybe unknowingly, you may, you may not have known it, but the questions are coming up. What's wrong with circumcision? And now it's becoming a little bit of a, of a friction point between followers of Christ and people from the Jewish. Yes? That does come up, up in Galatians. That conversation does come up. I'm not sure if that's exactly... Yeah, because later in the same chapter, verse 11, Cephas, Cephas came to Antioch. I posed him to his face. So yeah, there were, Peter was actually doing that. He was, yeah, he, he, he comes into Jerusalem and all of his Jewish buddies are going, hey, good to see you. Hey man, you know what's going on? Oh man, people are getting saved. Why well, are you getting them circumcised too? Well, no, but 
I guess it's not a bad thing. And, and Paul said, uh-uh. We need to put our foot down here. Not that circumcision is bad or is good or anything, but you make sure they understand it does not, in no way, contributes to their salvation. And Paul says the same thing. I baptize a few people, the house of Stephanus and their family, and a few, but other than that, I don't know, because baptism does not contribute to the salvation and the message of the gospel. It's an act of obedience. So yes, when you get saved and you demonstrate your salvation by repentance and doing good works, then yeah, you know what? Hey, you guys over here, could you get these people? They want to be baptized. All right, cool. Now, they're baptized. Let's hold them accountable. Let's, let's teach them. Let's disciple them. Let's bring them up. And Paul doesn't, he doesn't hands-on. He doesn't have to be the one baptizing. He doesn't have to be the one because he wants to make sure that the message of the gospel is unconfused, is uncontaminated, and he leads people into just doing what the Bible says. So uh, that's a good point because even Peter, uh, is, he struggles with peer pressure. Peter, you know, Peter's pretty a bold guy. He's pretty kind of offensive even to a point when you see him when he's walking with the Lord. Uh, he kind of he puts his foot in his mouth a time or two. Um, but at this point in his life, he actually has to be, he has to be kind of set down by Paul a little bit. Uh, because of what he's doing and Paul is admitting in chapter 2 verse 4 of Galatians that some false believers have infiltrated our ranks to spy, to spy on the freedom and, and it, that to me is an admission to Paul that if we're not careful it's easy to be influenced by people who have uh, a godly pres uh, persona about them but have uh, they have their own motives in their heart and in their mind to to infiltrate the church and the body. Yes. When you back up to the verses just before that, yeah. um, starting in verse three. He says, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What's a stronghold? We like to call it an addiction. It's not an addiction. It's a choice. It's a stronghold. It's something that, is, that we're weak against. Uh, we have the divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So the people in Corinth want to respond to the scripture with a question like, but don't you think God, and then fill in the blank. And there's no scripture for us. It would be, there would be no scripture to go along with it. Um, and so it kind of goes back to what I said about opening the Bible and saying, let's sit down, let's, let's research it together. You know, um, let's find out what the Word of God says about that question. And oftentimes it, may, it could be a question that the person asking the question doesn't know the answer to, and the person that is being asked the question may not know the answer either. So we just say, you know what, rather than just giving an answer, most a lot of people we talk about pride a lot of people would just go oh well yeah here's here's the answer 
gosh, I hope that was right. <laughs> you know, uh, that would be easy to do. So they're just as easily tempted. Um, Galatians, I think it's Galatians 6. Um, it's just as easy, easy to be tempted in that position as it is, you know, being ignorant to what the Bible says and then coming to your own conclusion about it without actually doing the research. And so research, research takes time, and that's just all there is to it. And in the culture we live in, you know, we don't want to, we want to be careful not to give up a lot of the things that we're already doing. And, and we, we, our nature is to, well, I've got to work, I've got time with my family, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. And, and, it, and our schedules fill up so much, so quickly, that that is actually a tool that Satan will use to keep us out of the Scripture, you know, to keep us from studying the Bible. And so when Jesus talks about taking up your own cross, that means sometimes we have to make sacrifices. Sometimes when Jesus wanted to get alone with his father, he had to go after everybody was in bed and get out and get away from the house and go get off by himself where nobody could find him. Yeah. Right. Right. This past week, I was encouraged by two people who don't normally teach, and they went, I, I don't know how God can use me. I'm like, that's the perfect attitude. I don't know, God can, how, I don't know how he uses me, <laughs> but he does. And I'm like, that's so cool. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and I think you made mention of that Wednesday night that, you know, even commentaries, if you've got one that you really trust, um, you still have to be careful because you still have to examine it against uh, the rest of the scripture. You know, so when you do find a lot of the commentaries that I read, I mean, in this Bible, this is a really good Bible, but there are some things in the bottom of here that I'll read through and it'll have a little commentary and it will have no other passages of scripture. That one I'm very careful about. You know, it'll be a commentary about one verse, and it'll say, it'll say, this is an isolated case where this, this, and this. And I'm like, eh. Right. Jesus repeats himself, and the apostles repeat themselves on, on things that are for the church. So when you see Old Testament scriptures that are quoted in the New Testament, like we've seen all through First and Second Corinthians, um, you know, he, he, he makes several um, where there's a repeat of, of things that are out of the Old Testament, those are the things that are carried over that God instituted for all. Those are passages of Scripture. So even just today, um, actually, First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 10, 17, excuse me, we read it last week. He says, but let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He's quoting that from earlier in 1 Corinthians, uh, but that passage comes out of Jeremiah 9.24, you know, and so what does that mean? That means you do not take God's glory for yourself. You give God the glory for everything, and we talked about that Thursday night as well, is that when I start to go, wow, I did a pretty good job, be careful. You're, you're in a bad place, and uh, yeah. Spirit in you, he's working in 
Yes. Yeah. Right. And so what you're describing, and I'm glad you brought that up. Oh, wow. Is it really that time? <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but what you're describing is a good teacher is always teachable. And they have to be. Because if they're not, then they're going to begin teaching what they believe and what they're convinced of without being uh, getting it from the Spirit. And so Jesus tells the disciples when the Spirit of truth comes, He will open your eyes. He'll help you understand. And He will expose truth to you. Uh, John 17. Or no, I'm sorry. John 14. John 14. Um, he, Jesus is telling them, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He says, you don't understand it. You don't, you don't get it right now. You see the Spirit, and the Spirit is on you. But when the Spirit of truth comes and it indwells you, He will teach you in everything. He will teach you in truth. He will remind you of the things that have been said, and He will tell you how to, how to proceed from here. So thank you for your attention this morning. God bless you guys.